How are you guys doing this morning? Doing good? Cool. All right. Um, it's an honor to, to be here and worship with you guys. It's an honor to preach the gospel um, to you this morning. I'm uh, very much looking forward to it. Um, so let me uh, go ahead and pray first. Um, prayer is, is good and needed. So I will pray and then we will dive into God's word. Does that sound good? All right. Father, we, uh, we come before you in, in need of much grace, God. Lord, we need, a, we need the comfort of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus lived the life that we could not and did not live, that Jesus died the death we deserve to die, and Jesus rose from the grave in victory. God, we thank you that, that we have access to salvation. We have access to right standing with you, not through our works, not through our obedience, not through any of our merits, but only through Christ's work alone. And so, God, as, as we come now into your holy and perfect word, God, we come hungry to hear about what Jesus has done. God, how he has saved us, how he has claimed us. God, and how he is working in us to bring that message of reconciliation to others. And so, God, may, may you give me grace by your spirit to preach your word with clarity. God, to, to, to say nothing, God, that doesn't line up with your word. And so, God, may you, by your grace, allow me to serve this church and this people well by lifting up your son, Jesus Christ, for all to worship and adore. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, I'll give you guys a confession first. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a nerd, and I'm an NBA nerd. So do you guys know what the NBA is? Okay. It's the National Basketball Association. Um, and so I'm an NBA nerd, and so what that means is I'll sometimes end up watching uh, YouTube videos about NBA things. So, so I'll, I'll just really be really nerdy and obsessive about those things. And, and one time I, I saw an NBA viral video featuring a couple Boston Celtics players. And, and what had just happened was that the two best players on the Boston Celtics had just completed some type of magical, amazing play. And so they, they completed a play, somebody did a backflip and dunked the ball or something crazy, and as they were walking towards the sidelines to kind of uh, celebrate that play, one of the bench players who doesn't play and doesn't do amazing things started to walk towards them really excited that they had just made an amazing play. And so you could imagine, right, this is a guy who sits on the end of the bench, um, he's probably making a lot of money, but he never gets to play. And so he sees his, his teammates make an amazing play, and so he starts walking out towards them kind of like this, like, yeah, guys, that was great, high five me. And the two players that just made the play, they just walk by him as if he didn't even exist. And so they, and I don't know if you guys have ever had that happen to you, it's very embarrassing. I don't know if you guys have ever had that happen to you on national television, it would probably be a lot more embarrassing. And so the guy's walking out like this, and the two other players are just kind of cold shouldered. And as I saw that, I started thinking about how on that team there was almost a divide. There was almost a divide between these are the players who actually play and do things, and they're actually productive, and then there's the players that sit on the bench, and they're kind of second class. And as I thought about that divide, it made me deeply thankful that Jesus doesn't run his church like the Boston Celtics. 
sometimes we start to think and sometimes we have this embedded thought that there is a divide in the church. There are the leaders and there are the gifted people that do the work of telling other people about Jesus. We think there's a divide where there's these people who who are equipped, who are leaders, who are called to preach the gospel, help people meet Jesus, do all of those things. And then we think on the other side, well, there's kind of uh, people like us that aren't as gifted, aren't called to be leaders, and we're not called to make the gospel known to the people around us. And the text that we're actually going to look at, if you guys want to start flipping there, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, will be in the first eight verses. We are going to look at a text that radically shatters any idea or any notion that some Christians are called to make the gospel known, And then there's some Christians that sit at the end of the bench because they're not gifted enough. We're going to crush that notion today. And praise God that he wants to use any and everyone who is in Christ to do the glorious work of making Jesus known to our friends, neighbors, city, and globe. So as you guys flip to Acts chapter 8, we will dive into this text We're going to be in Acts 8, 1 through 8, and we'll just start, kind of crawl through uh, each section. Let's start with the first three verses, read it, um, and then we'll set up the context and kind of move from there. This is Acts 8, 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Note that line. Devout men buried Stephen and make great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Okay, so let me set the context. You guys are like, man, that's a that's a kind of heavy first verse. Somebody's getting executed. Um, If you know the book of Acts, what had happened previous to 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 Acts eight one is that Stephen Basically, the first Christian martyr had had gone in front of a Jewish council and had basically, from the Old Testament scriptures, the whole story of redemption, he had testified to those people how Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. And those people get angry, and what do we learn that they do to him in verse 8-1? They killed him. They killed him. And so we see that Saul, who would later become known as Paul. All right, you guys are interactive. I like it. Um... Saul, who would later become Paul, right? Jesus would later save him later in this chapter of Acts, and he would become a great missionary and write much of the New Testament. Saul was there approving that execution, okay? And so what we see happening in verses 8, 1 through 3, is that Jesus, at this point, had resurrected from the grave, had ascended, but what did he do before he ascended? He gave to his disciples what? Power, yep. Power to do what? Yes, sir. All right. Good. Power to be his witnesses. He gave his disciples the great commission. We can talk, you guys. Maybe it's a different vibe, but we can talk. Um, You guys can even get it. No, I'm just kidding. We can talk, though. Um, So Jesus gives to his disciples, right? He gives them a great commission. He says, you know what? 
I want you to take the good news that I have died for sin and I've resurrected and I'm alive and anybody who trusts in me will be saved. I want you to take that good news across the street. I want you to take that to Judea. I want you to take that to Samaria. And I want you to take that to all nations, all peoples, all nations, all tribes, all tongues. Because you know what the picture is in Revelation? People worshiping from all tribes and tongues before Jesus. You know how we get there? Us. By the power of the Spirit, us opening our mouths with the gospel. People meet Jesus from all backgrounds. Christ came for all people who would trust in him. That's good news. And so Jesus gives this commission to his disciples, and he says, you guys need the Holy Spirit. You need him to help you. Okay, and so what had happened is that Stephen got this. In Acts 7, he preaches the gospel, he gets martyred, and what we see, a great persecution starts to happen in the church of Jerusalem. A great persecution starts to happen. And what we see here is this is a great text to see that God calls not just the leaders, the ministers, the pastors to be about spreading Jesus' gospel for God's glory, but everyone. Let's look at verse 4. So there's, the gospel is preached in Jerusalem, there's persecution, and the church is scattered according to verse 2. Now look at 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now we've got to ask this question, though. Who were those that were scattered? Look back at 2. Look back at verse 2. Excuse me, the tail end of 1. The tail end of 1. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the who? Except the apostles, right? So, so the people that are primarily scattered throughout these regions beyond Jerusalem are people minus the apostles. So this would have been other leaders in the church. This would have been regular, everyday Christians like you or I. This would have been their families that said, you know what? People are getting killed in Jerusalem for being about Jesus, We're going to move. We are going to go find a new home somewhere else so we don't get killed. And they move and scatter. But what do we see in verse 4? That those who were scattered went about preaching the word. This is incredible. This is incredible. You know, I I saw a stand-up comedian um, a couple of months ago. My wife and I went down to Seattle. And... uh, you know, I, I like stand-up comedy. A lot of it I can't watch. But this particular comedian um, was good. And they had one really uh, one line that really got to this idea of the divide between Christians and who is called to preach the gospel. And he was telling this joke. He's like, yeah, I used to sit in church, and the pastor used to get mad at us. He would say, you go tell your neighbor about Jesus. you got to tell your neighbor about Jesus. And, and, and the, the comedian, when he was a kid, he kind of yelled out in service, no, that's your job. You're the pastor. You're the one getting paid. You're the one that knows the Bible. You're the one that speaks every week. You're supposed to tell my neighbor about Jesus, not me. I come sit to listen to you. This text shatters that. Shatters that. So what we see is that every Christian, new or mature in the faith, every Christian, whether you've been a Christian for three months, or 30 years, 
We are all given this glorious call from our resurrected king to make him known to anybody and everyone who will listen. And so uh, just for clarity, I'm going to use this phrase mission. And when I say mission, I, I, I basically mean the Great Commission. Speaking the gospel so that people become Christians and know Jesus and grow into maturity in Christ. That's making disciples. So I'll just say mission a lot just to make the terms clear. And what we see from this text, and we're going we're gonna to go into this a little bit further, is that every Christian is called to mission. But the question becomes, how and what does that look like? Right? I think, I think most of us here, if we're a Christian, we've, at some point, hopefully, we've had the desire. that, like, man, I, I, I would love to see my friends. I would love to see my neighbors. I would love to see my city come to know the Jesus that saved me. I, I would love for that to happen. How do I do it? And, and this text is going to give us some of those answers. You know, but... One thing you might, be, uh, you might be asking of this text, one thing that I asked as I read, uh, read through this and studied, is we see in 4 that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's curious to me for, for one reason. Why would you do what got people persecuted before? Right? The reason that Stephen got murdered... And that persecution was starting to flame up in Jerusalem is because people were preaching the gospel. And these other Christians said, we got to leave because we don't want to get killed. But as we leave, let's go preach the word. When it's kind of like, well, that's the thing that got people killed back there. You think something different's going to happen for you? So, so in the midst of a highly persecution-ridden environment, what would motivate these Christians to do the very thing that got Stephen killed last week. Isn't that, isn't that a question worth asking? What would be the motive for them? Here is the key. Here is the thing that will motivate the Christian, that will motivate the believer to open their mouth and speak about Jesus when persecution is, is at the front door whether that's physical or whether that's maybe just getting laughed at or ridiculed. You want to know what the motivation is? Love for Jesus. Love for Jesus. That's got to be the only thing. I don't know what else I would die for. I'll die for, I'll die for you, Kelsey. I'll die for you. I don't know what else I would die for or I hope I would die for. What would the motive be? It's got to be a love for Jesus. Um, and, and I think we've, we've, we know this experientially. You know, think about this. Whatever you're zealous about, your life will start to be oriented around that thing. You start to talk about it. You might even get a T-shirt with that thing on it. Now, I'm not saying you need to get a Jesus T-shirt. You don't, if you have one, cool. But you don't, that's not an obligation. Right? But, but whatever you're zealous about, you're going to start to orient yourself around that thing. Um, I can't tell you how often I heard people talking about this phenomenon uh, a, couple of we- a couple of months ago. Pinterest. You heard about Pinterest? Oh, people were zealous about Pinterest. Does it, do, who knows what Pinterest is? Okay, the rest of you, you're lucky. Um, it's kind of this, this craft blog. It's all, I don't even know how to explain it. Um, 
There will be a, a lady here that will tell you what it is afterwards. But everywhere I went, people were talking about Pinterest. They, they, they were, and the reason they were starting to talk about it is because they enjoyed it. Like, hey, man, this is a good thing. I want Trevor to know about Pinterest so he can get some new shoes. Those are nice, too. But I want you to have, I want you to have variety, right? I, I want my friends to know about this. I mean, guys, this is what we do with sports. It's like, oh, my goodness, did you see that pass? I, Jimmy's got to know about that pass. I'm going to send him a text, right? And, and th- those are fine. Those are good. But, but here's the thing. When we rest in joy and are satisfied in Jesus in a daily walk with him through word and prayer, when we're just pursuing him, you know what's going to start to happen? We're going to start to have an overflow of love for Christ that, that we're going to want to, to share with those around us. Right? The motive to, to make disciples, the motive for mission is not guilt. It's not guilt. I'm not tr- if, if you guys think I'm starting to guilt you guys, th- throw a rock at me or something. That, that's not what I want to do. Love for Jesus will be the motive for mission, and that's what the motive was for those that were scattered. You know, and, and, and think of it this way. Is there greater news than the news of the gospel? Is there greater news than the news of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, coming down from his heavenly throne, Philippians 2, living a perfect life, adding humanity to his divinity and living among us. Is, is there, I mean, even, even if the story stopped there, that is incredible, but it doesn't. He lives among us and then he dies for us. What humility, what love, what passion, what pursuit. He dies for our sin when he was not obligated to. When we were still his enemies, when we wanted nothing to do with him, Jesus came to pursue us, pursue you. Then he rose from the grave in victory. And is there greater news than the gospel where every other religious system tells us to obey, to be accepted? The gospel Jesus has obeyed for us. We're accepted through what he's done, not through what we do. We don't have to clean ourselves up. You can be a mess. It's okay. Jesus knows you're a mess. That's why he came and bled for you. Is there better news than that gospel? And so as we start to rest in that and enjoy that and see in our own hearts and lives the good news of that gospel, we start to get zealous about it. And we start to realize that, man, there are so many people in our neighborhoods and in Bellingham and in this city and in this world that think Christianity is about morals and rules. They need to hear this gospel. And that's what was happening in this text. They were excited about Jesus. And so as they moved to new locations, they started to preach the word. You know, and uh, that's the motive. And it's easy to say. It's harder to do. And do you know the biggest reason that, if you're a believer here, the, the, the biggest reason that, that we are hesitant to tell people about Jesus You know what it is? It's fear. Is it not? It's fear. Yet here's the the glorious thing. The gospel doesn't just save us, but it addresses even that issue of fear to speak about Jesus. Can I tell you guys how? Okay. You don't have a choice. 
<laughs> I like just asking those questions. The gospel kills, kills the fear that stops us from evangelizing. You know why? Whatever it is you fear losing through evangelism, you already have a superior version of that very thing in Jesus. Let me say that one more time. Whatever it is we fear to lose through evangelism, we already have a superior version of that very thing in Christ. So think of it this way. I'll I'll apply it to myself. The the biggest thing I'm scared to lose and the biggest thing that that keeps me from telling my my best friend that's not a Christian, Kelly, the biggest thing that keeps me from from speaking about Jesus to Kelly more often is I don't want to lose Kelly's approval. It's approval. I want Kelly to approve me. And to say, Claude is great, Claude's awesome, and I, I fear if I keep talking to him about Jesus, he's going to start to say, you know what, I don't really approve Claude because he's, uh, he's kind of strange, and I don't like this. So I want Kelly's approval. Whose approval do I already have, though, through the gospel? God the Father's. I have God the Father's approval. God the Father who says, Earth, heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. I have his approval through Jesus. Jesus died to get me that approval. So why do I care about Kelly's? If I want approval, I already got the the king-size best version of it. Kelly's approval is like one of those mini candy bars. That's done in one bite. I got a king-size, eternal, unfading version of approval through Christ. So when I see that in the gospel, that hindrance to sharing Jesus, that fades away. What about a reputation, right? Sometimes it's hard for me to want to tell people about Jesus because they're going to be like, ooh, Claude's weird. Claude's kind of strange. Why is he always talking about this? That's weird. What's my reputation, though, in Christ? Christ died for my sin, and he's made me a son of God. I'm adopted into the family. I'm part of the kingdom. I'm justified. Right? So when we see those things in the gospel, that fear of reputation that keeps us from opening our mouth to those who need Jesus desperately, that fades away. That fades away. And, you know, another objection that that constantly runs through my heart and maybe runs through yours as well is that talking about Jesus, sometimes we feel like, man, I'm going to offend somebody. This isn't going to be helpful. And and I've started to realize, and I hope you would realize it as well if you're in Christ, is that evangelism is the greatest act of love or mercy you could ever do for anyone. Opening your mouth about Jesus is the greatest act of mercy you could do for anyone. Telling somebody, regardless of their response, telling somebody in love about Jesus is more loving and gracious than paying off their mortgage. Telling somebody about Jesus is more gracious and loving than paying off their school loans. Now, if any of you guys would like to do that for me, I I would not object Telling somebody about Jesus is more loving than buying them a, a brand new whatever car they want. It is, it is the greatest thing you could do for somebody. Why? Through Jesus, what do we have access to? You're trying to restore somebody to the God that made them. 
You're trying to help them meet Jesus and receive eternal life. You're trying to help them know ultimate joy now and eternally. It's a gift. And when we see it that way and we see that motive, it starts to change our orientation to mission and making disciples. You know, and so, so one thing, you know, maybe you're here and you're, you're not a Christian. You've heard the gospel and hopefully you'll continue to hear it today. But if the person that brought you here is always telling you about Jesus, it's because they love you. It's because they care about you. You know, as we look at this text, what, what Luke, who, who was the author of Acts, God through Luke, in verse 4, he gives us this description that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And then what we see in verse 5 is a specific one case example of what happened to those people who went about preaching the word. And the, the character we're going to see is Philip, who's also in Acts 6 um, in, a, in a deacon passage. And so now we see Philip. And so the motive is love for Jesus. We're actually going to see the, me- the message and the method by which Philip goes to preach the word. For now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. You know, notice this. It's simple, but notice what Philip proclaims in verse 5. He proclaims the Christ. He proclaims Jesus. Not a political issue. He doesn't proclaim uh, to them some sense of, of, of follow these rules or some secondary things, he proclaims to them the primary message, Jesus Christ and his gospel. That's key. If we're going to be on mission, we have got to proclaim Jesus, not other things. Oh, I was at, uh, at Western this last week on a, on a panel, on a religious panel. It's called Ask Us Anything. So I was up there, and it was about 150 people asking questions. I was up there representing uh, Christianity. They had a secular humanist person, um, a pagan uh, person, um, an atheist person, uh, a Mormon, um, and somebody else. I forget who they were. Um, they must not have spoken much. And so people were asking us questions. And so people, people asked me about, oh, what do you think about evolution? I said, Jesus. I, I don't, good question, important issue. There are Christians that love Jesus, love the Bible, that side on, on, in many different camps on that question. I want the, that crowd of 150 people to hear about Jesus. My goal is not to get them to my view of evolution. My goal is to get them to bow their knees to Jesus. And so as they started asking me about that issue, I'm like, I'd love to talk to you guys afterwards, but you know what? Don't use this barrier issue to stop you from coming to Jesus. So I just started talking about Jesus, and I think people got mad. It's like, answer my question. It's like, I am. I am. And so Philip is proclaiming the Christ. And as we look at this text, we notice Philip went down to what city? Samaria. And so Samaria, those people would have been familiar with Jesus from John chapter 4. Woman at the well, right? Samaritan woman, right? And so they would have been loosely familiar. And that reminds us much of our culture, right? How many of your friends, your neighbors, coworkers are loosely familiar with Jesus? They hear the name, right? They hear about, oh, Tim Tebow. Yeah, isn't he friends with Jesus? So, so people are talking about Jesus. People are vaguely familiar, but they don't actually know the gospel. They don't actually know it. 
They think of Jesus as a teacher, still, surprisingly. They think of Jesus as a moral guru, but they don't know him as the crucified and risen Lord and Savior. One example of this is, is, um, is remarkable and heartbreaking is I met a guy playing basketball that had a tattoo from about here to here of a cross. And then across the cross, it said Jesus. And so I saw it, and I was like, hey, I love tattoos. I don't have any. I like them, but I like them on other people. And so I was like, man, that's such a cool tattoo. Can I take a picture of it and tape it to my arm when I want to feel cool? Um, I didn't ask him, but I wanted to ask him that. And so I saw his tattoo, and I'm like, man, cool, man. That's great. Good for you. And, and I asked him, it's like, man, I see your tattoo. How do you think, how do you think you're going to be made right with God when you die and stand before him? You know, what he, you know what he said to me? I don't know. He said, I don't know. This guy's got a, ta- a cross with Jesus written on it from here to here. And he says, I don't know. So I pressed him a little bit further. I said, you don't know? He said, well, I mean, I just, I got to be a good person, you know? I got to be a good person and, and just try to do better each day. I said, no. Look at your arm. The cross is evidence that you could never be a good person. The cross is also evidence that Jesus was the good person for you that died for all your failures. And so there are people, this is heartbreaking, you guys. There are people that are rejecting Jesus because they think Jesus is about being a good person. And they got to clean themselves up to get with God. They don't even know the gospel. And so Philip, as he goes to Samaria, these people were loosely familiar with Jesus, just like our culture was. And Philip gets there, and he proclaims the Christ. So what this means is that we've got to know the gospel if we're going to make the gospel known to others. Do you know the gospel? Do you know it? Do you know how you would explain it to someone? So that they would understand that it's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus has done in your place. Yeah, I I think as well, what Philip, what the specific example of Philip shows us in this text is actually immensely practical to our lives. Think of it this way. Persecution arises in Jerusalem. Philip and other families say, you know what? We need to move so we don't get killed. And through the process of moving, we're going through this city. Let's just tell them about Jesus. They were just living their life in light of the gospel. They were just living, and Jesus just flowed out of the regular thing that they were doing, which happened to be moving so they didn't get killed. What this means for us is, if you're asking the question, how am I supposed to be on mission, what is that supposed to look like? I want to give you guys a phrase that I've I've heard from uh, some pastors in Europe, Steve Timmis and Tim Chester, that's very helpful. What we are called to is we're just called to live our lives with gospel intentionality. Gospel intentionality. Can you guys say that? Gospel intentionality. That's what we're called to do. Right? We don't have to add things into our lives necessarily to be preaching the gospel. We just need to do the stuff that we do with the people that we do it with, with the gospel intentionality. And we need the help of the Spirit and we need God's help and his grace in order to do it. You know, and one of the things that's interesting is that 
God is sovereign, is he not? So he's sovereign over this persecution, is he not? Right? That's right. Amen. Let's go. Okay. I like it, you guys. And so what that means, is God not sovereign over where you live? Is God not sovereign over the job that you have? Is God not sovereign over the neighborhood that you have? Is God not sovereign over the neighbors across the street from you that play that loud music all the time and get on your nerves? He is, right? And so just as God was sovereign over this persecution and used it actually to get the church out of Jerusalem and on mission, God has placed you where he's placed you if you're in Christ so that you would make the gospel known to those around you. That's just, that's the facts. So the question is, how do we do that? And I want to give you guys a couple of quick tips for being on mission. And one, you know we have to do this by the power of the Spirit. Acts 1.8. We can't do it on our own. We need God's grace to help us with this. Greatly. But here are a couple of things. You've got to take the stuff you already do and do it as a gospel ambassador and speak about Jesus. That's what Philip's family was doing. They were moving so they didn't get killed. They spoke about Jesus as they were moving to Samaria or passing through. A couple of things. You guys, how many meals do you guys eat a week if you eat three a day? 21. You got, I'll buy you guys some calculators. 21, right? 21 meals. Food and people go together. So if you want to be on mission practically, you're supposed to eat 21 times a day already. Eat with people who don't know Jesus and talk about Jesus. Simple, right? Very simple. Other thing, you guys live in a neighborhood? Meet your neighbors. Meet your neighbors. God is sovereign over where you're at. Maybe you're the person who knows the gospel that lives in your neighborhood, and maybe you're there so that the people in your neighborhood that have no idea about Jesus can know him, can hear about him, can hear about Christ crucified for their sins. So what this means practically is that as Philip lived their life with gospel intentionality, as they went through a new city, you in your neighborhood meet your neighbors. Throw a barbecue. Throw a party. Meet them and speak about Jesus. This is just ordinary life as a gospel ambassador. You know, hobbies. How many of you guys have hobbies? He's like, no, we don't do anything fun. Only him. (laughs) I'll talk to you after service. Cool. I'm glad you have a hobby. You can teach it to me. Right? The things that you guys like to do, do it prayerfully. Pray before you do it and go do it in public or do it with people that don't know Jesus. Frisbee. Stuff on Pinterest. I don't know. YMCA. We've got to see mission not as something we add in or we got to create an eighth day of the week to do it. We've got to take the stuff God has wired us to do and we've got to do it by the power of the Spirit as gospel ambassadors. If we want to make Jesus known. It's precisely what Philip and those who were scattered did. Look at verse 6. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. 
For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Do you guys want to know the secret to being on mission? Do you guys want to know the secret to evangelism? The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is powerful. This is Romans 1.16. Is that the gospel is dynamite. By the power of the Spirit, the gospel can actually save people. Do you guys believe that? I struggle to believe that. The, Jesus saves people. That's what he does. That's, you, you know what he came? Luke 19.10, to seek and save the lost. That's his business, glorifying himself through the salvation of those who never deserved it. That's what he does. He loves to do it. The angels love to see it. They rejoice over it. If you are in Christ, when God saved you, do you know what was going on in the heavens? Do you have any idea? You think you were happy. Jesus loves to save sinners. And he does it by using sinners who open their mouths by the power of the Spirit and say the gospel and speak about Jesus and speak about the cross. The gospel is powerful to save people. This is precisely what we see in 6 through 8 is that people are getting healed. I've never seen that. I don't know what you guys think about that theologically. I'm not going to, Trevor's like, oh no, I'm not going to dive into that. But what this is about is this, this reality of people being healed. Do, do you know what the paralyzed and the lame, as we see in this text, do you know what their status would have been in terms of how they could have worshipped God as, as outcasts and as paralyzed and lame people? They couldn't have. They're excluded. Right? Their physical ailments are a parallel to the spiritual sickness and spiritual paralysis that all people have. And we need the gospel to heal us and restore us to God spiritually. That's the parallel we see through the healing of these people. Is that we're spiritually lame and unable to save ourselves, and we need Jesus to do it. And as Philip goes down to Samaria and preaches about Christ, people start getting healed, spirits start coming out of them. All of this is a sign that the kingdom of God basically is breaking in as people bow their knees in faith to Jesus. You know, practically what some of this means is if outcasts and paralyzed, lame people are being healed through the preaching of the gospel, it's just a picture that Christ's work on the cross is powerful to save people regardless of their hardness of heart, the depth of their sin, their walk of life, their background, or their culture. This means is that Jesus is able to save that one person that you think about, and you think they're never going to become a Christian. Jesus is able to save that person. He is. And we kind of see the, uh, the end result of this is that as we look at the end of this text in verse 8, there was a lot of joy in that city. There was a lot of joy in that city. You know, imagine, you know, think of it like, think of if you were not able to walk for your whole life, and then one day you hear and you're able to walk. 
what are you going to do? You're going to dance, right? These Samaritans were probably high-fiving people. They were jumping and high-fiving. I don't know if they had that at the time, but they were probably doing the equivalent of it. There was joy. Yo, think back to, to, to that moment where you trusted in Jesus if you were a Christian. How did you feel when you knew your sins were forgiven? When you knew that your sins were nailed to the cross, Colossians 2.12. How did you feel? Did you have joy? You probably did. Were you ecstatic? You probably were. Were you excited? You probably were. When the gospel goes forward, and by the power of the Spirit, people hear and understand what Christ has done, there is joy. Let let me ask you guys a couple questions. Do you want this type of gospel joy in your neighborhoods? Do you want that for your neighbors? Do you want this type of gospel joy for your coworkers, for your family, for Bellingham, for the nations? Do you guys, do you, do you, I heard this last, I heard this two weeks ago. There are over two billion people in the world that have never heard the name Christ. They've never heard the name Jesus before. Never. We want those people and we want the people to cross the street from us to experience this type of joy as they hear of Christ crucified for their sins. And here is the glorious call that God gives us. He wants to use us to bring that good news to them. He wants to use us. You know, for the first time, I, uh, I watched Star Wars a couple of weeks ago. I know I went 25 years with, without seeing all the Star Wars. You can make fun of me later. And there's one moment in one of the earlier movies when whoever it was that trained Obi-Wan is dying. And as he's dying... He gives him his last words. And I don't know what they were. I was too busy crying. I was like, I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I was like, I got to get a lightsaber and become a Jedi. This is so inspiring. Right? And it was just, it was this picture of, it was just this picture of someone you loved, someone who had taught you. You know, Obi-Wan was basically the dude's servant. Um, and, and, and he's starting to die. And he's like, these are my last words. Obey them. And I'm just, I'm like a waterworks. And as, as, as I start crying, I start thinking, it's like, wow, this reminds me of the Great Commission. This reminds me of the Great Commission. Except Jesus isn't dying. He's resurrected. He's not on the ground dying. I'm like, oh, you're going to die. I'm never going to see you again. He's ascending. And he says, go make me known. And he actually gives us the power to do it, his spirit. And he actually gives us a message that's powerful, the gospel. How inspiring is that? What a call that we're given as his church. It's incredible. And let me close with this. I want to tell you something that I've, that I've learned and I'm sure many of you have learned. Did you hear this? Some of you guys get riled up. And you're like, man, I've got to make Jesus, I want to, I'm excited. I'm excited to make my Savior known to those around me. Let me, let me just give you a, a newsflash. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're not going to do this very well, if you're like me. You're not going to do this well. But let me tell you something 
great is that the gospel promises us that Christ loves us not based on how well we preach this gospel to others. Right? We got to remember that. Because you could hear this and get, oh, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to get some spiritual steroids. I'm going to start memorizing all these verses to share with people. I'm going to start passing out tracts, whatever. And then a week later, you're like, wow. You know, I had an opportunity to talk to my neighbor about Jesus, and I shied away. And I, I, I bit my tongue, and I didn't say anything. And I feel ashamed. And if you don't remember the gospel in that moment, you're going to be crushed. And so the gospel calls all Christians to be on mission proclaiming the good news of Jesus. But the gospel is also the comfort for us when we fail to be on mission. Do you see that? Do you see how good Jesus is? Is that he calls us to mission, but he also says, you know what? I know you guys aren't really good at stuff. I know you guys are kind of, you guys are kind of knuckleheads. Which is why I had to come and save you. Because we couldn't save ourselves before a holy God. And we certainly, in our own strength, cannot rep Jesus well. But the gospel shows us that even as we fail to rep him, we have his full favor. Because it was never dependent on our obedience. It was never dependent on how well we preach the gospel. It was never dependent on how often we share the gospel. Our favor, our standing before God is always and only been sealed and secured in what Christ has done. And so as we remember that comfort that comes from the gospel, and we remember the motive that comes from the gospel to preach Christ by the power of the Spirit, we have The gospel on our lips, the spirit pushing us forward. We have a community of believers to encourage us. We have the hope that Jesus Christ actually can save people. And that is more than enough to try to live as God's ambassadors here on earth, here in our neighborhoods, here in Bellingham, here locally, here globally. So that people in our neighborhoods, across the street, and across the globe will have the joy we see in Acts 8.8 as they hear of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified and risen for sinners. Is that not good news, you guys? Is that not good news? Let me pray. Father, we, we, uh, we're floored, God. We're floored, Father, that um, God, that you and your holiness, Lord, you would, uh, you would even, you'd even look, God, in, in, with mercy and grace towards us. God, we are we are not deserving of the salvation that Jesus has earned for us. God, we are not deserving of your grace. We are not deserving of your mercy. We are not deserving of the good gifts that you give to us. And yet, God, to the praise of your glorious grace, you have given them. And so, God, as we, as we hear, as we think of, of the good news of the gospel, of how it calls us to mission, how it comforts us when we fail to be on mission, God, may that lead us to just worship Jesus. And out of an overflow of worshiping Jesus, God, may we strive to make him known to those around us. God, we thank you for the gift of your son and his salvation. We pray this in his name. Amen.